Good morning, I'm Pastor Dan from Life Church St. Louis. Today we're continuing in our message series, Jesus in Action, from the book of Mark. Now, we're not just taking a historical study of the things that Jesus did thousands of years ago, uh, because what Jesus did in the past, he is still doing through his followers today. Acts 1 verse 1 says, In the first book, which was the Gospel of Luke, O Theophilus, I have dealt with all that Jesus began to do and teach. And so Luke began to talk about what Jesus did and taught in the Gospel of Luke. And Luke's clear implication here is that the book of Acts, which records what the early church did and taught, was a continuation of Jesus at work through his church in the power of the Holy Spirit. And so what we're learning about Jesus' actions and words, we can trust him to do in and through our lives today. Now this morning our message is entitled, Serving Jesus. So let's begin by looking at some terminology. A believer in Jesus is a follower of Jesus. A follower of Jesus is a disciple of Jesus. A disciple of Jesus is a servant of Jesus. And so all of these terms, believer, follower, disciple, and servant, describe every true Christian, which is a fifth term that describes different aspects. They all describe different aspects of a believer's life. Now today we're going to focus on being a servant of Jesus, but we're going to be talking about some of the other descriptive nouns as well. So what does it really mean to follow Jesus, to, to be a believer? Well, Jesus called his first disciples by simply telling them to follow me. Now, some today think that to be a believer means you simply believe in God. Now, when I use the word God, I'm referring to God who has revealed himself in the pages of the Bible. When some others speak of God, they may be referring to something or someone who is very different than the God of the Bible. But even if we are all referring to the God of the Bible, is it enough simply to believe in God? James 2.19 says, You believe that God is one, you do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. Now certainly to believe in the existence of the one true God is good, it's true, but it does nothing to put you into a relationship with him. James graphically illustrates that even demons believe there is one true God. And we've seen in the Gospel of Mark that demons recognize that Jesus was the divine Son of God. And yet demons are doomed to spend eternity in hell with their master Satan because they are in open warfare with God. You see, it's not enough just to believe that God or Jesus existed or even is alive today. You must entrust your life to him and choose to follow him. And the demons certainly are not doing that. Now, other people look back to the time when they prayed a simple prayer to repent of their sins and invite Jesus into their lives. I look back at a prayer, I remember it vividly, that I prayed with my mother at the age of four to make Jesus the captain of my life. Now, that is how you start to follow Jesus. That is how you start to believe. But life is a long journey, and to continue to be a follower of Jesus, you've got to continue following. To continue to be a believer in Jesus, you've got to continue believing. Both scripture and life have many examples of those who fell away from their following, fell away from their believing, and so were destined for an eternity apart from God. Let's look at what Jesus said about following him in John 10:27. He said, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. Now, in this whole section of scripture in John 10, 
Jesus is referring to himself as a shepherd who calls his sheep by name and they follow closely behind their shepherd. Now, if a sheep doesn't pay attention to the shepherd's voice or chooses to disobey and wander off, they're no longer following the shepherd, are they? Not only do Jesus' followers follow his instructions, they also are to follow his example. Jesus said in John 14, 12, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do, and greater works than these will he do, because I am going to the Father. And of course, when he went to the Father, he sent the Holy Spirit. And so those who believe in Jesus, who are his followers, are supposed to do the works or actions that he did, and even greater things through the power of the Spirit. The works that we are to do as we follow Jesus are many. We're to teach God's word as he did, to care for the needy, to heal the sick, to cast out demons, and even raise the dead. Now today we're going to learn more from Jesus himself about being his servant in every aspect of life. So let's go to Mark chapter 9 to learn three steps to serving Jesus in our lives. First of all, we must become a servant. Mark 9 verse 33, he asked them, What were you discussing on the way? But they kept silent, for on the way they had argued with one another about who was the greatest. And he sat down and called the twelve, and he said to them, If anyone would be first, he must be last of all and servant of all. Well, Jesus' disciples were just like people today, arguing about who is the greatest. You know, athletes argue about who's the G-O-A-T, the greatest of all time in any given sport. The disciples each wanted to be Jesus' favorite disciple, the one who could do the greatest miracle or cast out the biggest, baddest demon. They were not just discussing, they, they were arguing. And of course, Jesus knew what had been going on, but the disciples wouldn't tell him because they knew he would not be pleased. Now, rather than directly rebuke them, Jesus began to teach his disciples the importance of being a servant. He told them, if you want to be great in the kingdom of God, if you want to be first, then you must be last and serve everyone else. In other words, the way to greatness in the kingdom of God is the opposite of how someone would become great in an earthly kingdom. To be last of all means to put others first, to serve others rather than seek to be served. Well, Jesus then goes on to give a, a visual illustration in verse 36. It says, And he took a child and put him in the midst of them, and taking him in his arms, he said to them, Whoever receives one such child in my name receives me, and whoever receives me receives not me, but him who sent me. Now what does Jesus' illustration with this child have to do with being a servant? Well, a child in those days, even more so than today, was, was thought of as being insignificant, as not being of great importance, especially for a man to deal with. Now, those who presume themselves to be great in their own eyes, as the disciples were arguing about, inevitably think of others as being lesser. Those who are great in their own eyes seek to be served by those lesser. And Jesus was instructing his disciples to receive, to, to care for a child in his name, in Jesus' name. They were to treat all others with dignity and respect, even though their abilities, like a child's, may, may not be great or may not yet be matured. Even more importantly, Jesus told his disciples that when they received or served those who seemed less worthy, they were actually serving Jesus and God the Father. And so Jesus wants one of his disciples, he wants each one of us to become a servant. Now, 
The lesson that Jesus taught was not an easy lesson for his disciples to learn, nor is it for us today. Our human nature tends towards pride. It tends towards the pursuit of greatness at any cost. We tend to want to be the master whom others serve. And yet Jesus wants to teach us both by his words and his example that we must be servants. The first aspect of servanthood is to be servants of other people, especially of the vulnerable and the forgotten. You know, some of the most forgotten people in our world are the babies in their mother's wombs who are in danger of being aborted. You know, since coronavirus started, one and a half million people around the world have died, and, and that's a tragedy. But in the same period of time that we've been fighting coronavirus, abortion has claimed the lives of 37 million babies, far, far outstripping the number of people that have died with coronavirus. Completely preventable, and yet hardly anyone is talking about it. This Christmas, we are giving gifts to the mothers who have chosen to have their babies through the ministry of Thrive St. Louis, which we support. And we encourage you, if you haven't already, to sign up in our services to give a gift to help those mothers and their babies. It's one small thing that we can do. Jesus is also teaching us to serve those around us when we see a need, when we have an opportunity to think of others as more important than ourselves. As we grow in serving others, we are actually growing and serving Jesus, the King of Kings. And as we grow as a servant of Jesus, we must learn to also serve with right motives. Moving down to verse 38, Jesus said to him, I mean, John said to him, Teacher, we saw someone casting out demons in your name, and we tried to stop him because he was not following us. Now, we've already learned as we go through the Gospel of Mark that Jesus cast demons out of people. He brought healing to them wherever he went. It was part of his ministry. He taught his disciples to do the same thing, to cast out demons in his name. And we ought to be doing the same thing today. But apparently somebody else, someone who was not closely following Jesus, whom the disciples did not know, was doing the same thing, casting out demons in the name of Jesus. Disciples didn't like that. They didn't know who he was. They were, this person was not part of their group. Also at the beginning of Mark chapter 9, we see that Jesus' disciples failed to cast a demon out of a boy. And Jesus had to do it for them. Perhaps they were a little jealous, this other person delivering people from demons. And so they tried to stop them. Well, Jesus said in verse 39, Do not stop him, for no one who does a mighty work in my name will be able soon afterward to speak evil of me. For the one who is not against us is for us. And so Jesus told them, Don't try to stop others from doing things in my name, even if you don't know them. If they're doing something for the kingdom, encourage them, even if they don't have everything in place. If they're doing things to extend the kingdom, then we're on the same team. And since they're not fighting against us, they're on our side. Again, we see with the disciples some of their pride and exclusiveness surfacing. And so Jesus was encouraging them to, to broaden their view and understanding of God working in other people's lives beyond what they had recognized. Jesus goes on to say in verse 41, Truly, I say to you, whoever gives you a cup of water to drink because you belong to Christ will by no means lose his reward. So what Jesus is saying is that the disciples ought to be open to serving or helping those outside their circle 
like those casting out demons, and if they did, they would be rewarded. On the other hand, this was also a promise of Jesus to his disciples, that as they served him, they would receive cups of water to drink from others. A cup of water represents a small kindness, a small meeting of somebody else's need, and even such seemingly insignificant acts of serving would be rewarded by God. Jesus was teaching his disciples and us to, to serve others with humility and honor. Now, as we look at the disciples, sometimes it's easy for us to judge them and think we would never do or say the same things. But if we're a little more honest, we can all see ourselves in the disciples' attitudes. Even those who are seeking to serve the Lord can become exclusive and prideful in their serving. And God desires for us to learn to, to work together with other believers who may see things a little bit differently than us. Remember, those who are not against us are for us. We obviously can't work with people who are against us, fighting against us. But we can have an even better understanding about having right motives by thinking of the child that Jesus held. A child cannot return a favor done to them. When you meet a need of a child, they cannot turn around and immediately meet your needs. Serving with the right motives is serving others with no thought of receiving something back in return from them. We must be content that even if they cannot repay us, God will reserve a reward for us in eternity and in this life for every good deed, for every act of service in his name. So who can you serve in your life? Well, every day there's probably somebody in your family that you can serve. There are those in the church family that, that you can serve in various ways. There are those at work, in your work or in your neighborhood that you can serve. Ask God to give you eyes to see the needs of those around you and then give you the resources to meet that need with God's love, serving with right motives. Finally, we want to learn to serve without sin. Verse 42, whoever causes one of these little ones who believe in me to sin, it would be better for him if a great millstone were hung around his neck and he were thrown into the sea. And so as Jesus continues to teach his disciples, it appears the child he'd been holding was, was still there among them, maybe some other children as well. Jesus indicates that this child or children, they believed in him and were followers of his. Again, Jesus indicates the great worth of children. Not only can they believe in him, but his disciples must be very careful not to cause that child, that little one, to sin. How could you cause a child to sin? Well, there are a number of ways. Children tend to imitate older people, especially their parents or teachers. If you sin and a child sees your example, there's a good possibility they will follow your example into sin. Or you could cause a child to sin by not warning them about sin or by telling them that sin was okay. Now, the little ones that Jesus is talking about apply obviously to physical children, but also to spiritual children, to those who are new in the faith. The penalty for causing a little one to sin is, is worse than being thrown into the sea with a millstone around your neck and drowning. In other words, to cause a little one to sin will send a person to hell. Causing another person to sin is a, is a very serious offense. Jesus continues in verse 43. He says, and if your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. It's better for you to enter life crippled than with two hands and go to hell, to the unquenchable fire. And if your foot causes you to sin, cut it off. It's better for you to enter life lame than with two feet 
be thrown into hell. So Jesus now begins to teach about other causes of sin in our own lives. First, he speaks of a hand that causes a person to sin and should be cut off. He said it's better to go through life with one hand than to keep that sinful hand and end up in the eternal torment of hellfire. Now, Jesus does not intend for us to literally cut off parts of our bodies. But he intends for us to deal violently with anything within ourselves that would cause us to sin. Our hand represents actions that would lead us to sin. Our foot represents places that we may go that would lead us to sin. He goes on in verse 47 and says, And if your eye causes you to sin, tear it out. It's better for you to enter the kingdom of God with one eye than with two eyes to be thrown into hell, where their worm does not die and the fire is not quenched. Our eye represents various sinful desires that come from what our eyes look upon. Now let's not forget who Jesus is talking to. He's talking to his disciples. He's talking to his followers. He's telling them that they must forcefully deal with any sin in their lives or they will end up apart from God in hell. And we learn from Jesus here that hell is a place of unending fire in which the sinner is tormented forever and ever. Now, as we read the Gospels, we realize that one of the disciples, Judas by name, did not deal with his sin. He ended up betraying Jesus, committing suicide, and going to hell. And so, yes, contrary to popular belief, a follower of Jesus can fall away and end up in hell forever. These warnings of Jesus and the rest of Scripture are not warnings of something that could never happen. We must be careful to cut off all causes of sin in our lives. In verse 49, Jesus concludes this passage and says, For everyone will be salted with fire. Salt is good, but if the salt has lost its saltiness, how will you make it salty again? Have salt in yourselves and be at peace with one another. Now, salt speaks of purity and, and purification. Salt was used as a preservative of food in Jesus' day and in our day as well. Salt was also used in temple sacrifices again as a means of purification. Now fire in this verse, salted with fire, represents persecution or attacks of the world on the believer and their lives, our lives, are to be sacrifices to God, purified as with salt. When we respond in faith to those attacks, the attacks don't harm us but actually serve to purify us from any sin in our lives. And this type of purity represented by salt must continue to be evident in the life of the believer, of the follower of Jesus. If we lose our purity by giving into sin, we've lost everything. And finally, Jesus explains to his disciples that when they have this salt of purity in themselves, when they consider others more important than themselves, they will be at peace with one another. Now remember, this whole section began with the disciples arguing about who was the greatest. And Jesus was calling them to serve him and each other without sin. Now, one of the issues that we have with sin in our culture is that, that we are seeing a downward spiral towards more sin and greater sin. And as human beings, our tendency is to compare any sin in our lives with those around us. And we like to find others who are worse sinners so we can excuse ourselves. And this same type of comparison leads people to believe that God only sends people to hell for really, really bad sins. And that's completely false. Any sin not forgiven will send a person to hell. 
And that's why Jesus speaks so bluntly in these verses about the importance of cutting off all causes of sin in our lives. Because of the prevalence of sin on the internet and all types of media around us, we must be diligent to guard ourselves from its influence. Now, I'm not saying don't use the internet, but use it wisely, as well as your television, the media. If there's something in your life that you don't think is sin, but it may lead another person to violate their conscience in sin, the problem, Jesus says, is yours, not theirs. Don't be a cause of someone else to sin. Jesus' teaching is clear. You must give up, but we must give up our own rights so as not to cause a little one to sin. But the good news is that through the Holy Spirit, we can serve Jesus in holiness as he helps us to put to death, to cut off the causes of sin in our lives. Serving without sin with purity is an essential part of serving Jesus. And so Jesus calls each one of us to be his servants as, as we follow him. To be a servant of Jesus is to serve both him and other people. Serving is not just a matter of outward actions, but also having a, a heart of love with the right motives. Serving Jesus must be done with a pure heart, unstained by sin. As the Holy Spirit reveals causes of sin in our lives, we must forcefully cut those causes out of ourselves. We must be careful to lead little ones closer to Jesus and not further away. And as we follow Jesus as his servant, he will fill our hearts with his joy and peace, no matter the condition of the world around us. Now this morning, I want to give everyone listening an, an opportunity to repent and become a follower of Jesus. If you've never committed your life to Jesus Christ, I'm going to give you an opportunity to pray with me and, and be born again. Or perhaps you made a commitment in the past, but you'd like to recommit your life to him today. To do that, you need to first of all admit that you've sinned. Turn away from that sin. Repent. Secondly, believe. Believe that Jesus died to forgive you and rose from the dead. And finally, see, commit your life to following Jesus as your Lord. So I'm going to pray. I'd encourage you to pray along with me as well. Say something like this. Father, today, I admit that I've sinned. I've done wrong things. And I repent. I, I turn away from that sin. I believe that Jesus died on the cross, paid the penalty for my sin, that I might be forgiven. Please forgive me. I believe he rose from the dead and I commit myself to following him as my Lord and Savior. For those of us who are believers, let's pray as well. Father, we thank you that Jesus shed his blood for us that we might be forgiven. We pray that you continue to forgive us of our sins. We thank you that your body was broken for us that we might be healed. We pray to heal everyone who's listening to this message from everything that physical, emotional, or spiritual that needs your touch today. We thank you for this clear and challenging teaching of Jesus in the book of Mark. We want to grow as servants of Jesus in our day and in our time. Forgive us for the times when we only serve those whom we thought would serve us back. May we serve everyone created in your image. For then we are serving you. Purify our hearts to serve you with the right motives of love and not pride. May we serve together with other believers who are seeking your kingdom first and help us to realize the danger of sin, both for us and those close to us, the little ones around us. Give us discernment to know the causes of sin and the courage to cut it off in our lives. We want to serve you with purity and power in our day and time. 
May we be people, God, of faith and hope in this time of, of fear and chaos. We thank you that you are in control, that your kingdom cannot be shaken, and that we are part of that kingdom. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. If you made a commitment to Jesus Christ or would like more information, I'd encourage you to connect with us via the link below this video. We'll pray for you and offer you some helpful materials. You can find out more information on our website, lifechurchstlouis.org. Our Sunday morning services are open at 10 a.m. at 15036 Clayton Road in Chesterfield. You're invited to attend if you live in the St. Louis area. Online donations to help us reach more people for Jesus are available at lcstl.org. And next Sunday, we continue our message series, Jesus is in Action, from the book of Mark with the message, Jesus is Alive. And I invite you to join us then. God bless and have a great week.